The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief Enoch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the Enochs gave them names. Daniel he called Balthasar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the Enochs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chiefs of the Enochs. And the chief of the Enochs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned, you, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should, why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are for your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the Enochs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward, the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus." you pray with me? 
Father, we come before you today, Lord, um, taking this moment to acknowledge you and to praise you, God, um, because of your grace that you allow us to be here at this moment, Lord. Thank you that your presence are in the midst of us today. Father, I ask that you prepare our hearts and our minds for your words today that you're going to be giving us through Randall, Lord. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for us. Father, we ask for the forgiveness as we sometimes have pride, selfishness, anything that's not from you, God, that is hindering us or slowing us down to uh, dive deeper and to get to know you more and to get to know our identities through you. So we thank you again for your grace and your love. We ask all of these in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall, uh, pastor here at Grace City. It's good to have you this morning. Um, we are starting a new series in the book of Daniel. And so if you're just joining us, it's the perfect time to be here this morning. Um, we are looking at Daniel, and the title of this series is Living as Exiles. Uh, again, if you're just joining us, over the past three weeks, we've been looking at Jeremiah 29 uh, and how the, the people of God were taken as captives to Babylon but really how this all connects is that during the time of Jeremiah, um, one of his contemporaries during that time was Daniel. Daniel lived during the same time as Jeremiah. And Isaiah, the prophet, also lived during that same time. And so in the midst of a dark time in the, the life and the history of Israel, uh, God gave some of the most profound prophets uh, that we can find in all of the Bible. Uh, so it's exciting today that we look at the book of Daniel, and over this series, we're going to be looking at the first six chapters of Daniel, particularly because we want to focus in on what does it look like to live faithfully as a disciple uh, in the midst of what the Bible would call exile. And so uh, in the uh, Jeremiah series, we looked at uh, the first week, uh, God's command to seek the welfare of the city. Um, then we looked at seeking uh, to plant roots in the city. And then lastly, uh, seeking God on behalf of the city. And so uh, as a church, we've been praying over the past seven days um, about uh, being a church for our city. And some of the ways that I've uh, felt as I've been praying uh, specifically for our city, and some of us have been fasting, uh, what I've felt is that it feels overwhelming. It feels impossible. There's so much, uh, so much need in our city, in our communities, um, telling people about the love of Jesus. Um, and so it, it feels overwhelming at times. I was there on Monday uh, praying with some of the campus leaders uh, from InterVarsity, Crew, um, and, and uh, Navigators, and, and walking the campus and, and praying with them as this new school year is about to start. And all of the students that are gonna be uh, walking um, on Library Walk and all of these places on campus, and just thinking, wow, how overwhelming this feels uh, that there are gonna be students that are here that, that don't know the love of Jesus. And what does it look like to pray that God would move in their lives? See, friends, um, the the. The reality is the task is overwhelming. I mean, it's meant to be. 
But the reason is, is because we are all called to depend not on ourselves, but on God. Like we talked about last week, prayer is, is not about a reliance upon self. And the reason we don't pray many times is we rely too much on ourselves, but it is a reliance upon God. God is the only one who can do that. And so we want to be that for our city and for our community. And I want to encourage us to continue to pray um, over uh, this next year and over our city and standing in the gap for people um, on behalf of them for God. So our text today is Daniel 1, uh, 1 through 21. And um, as we look at this text today, the message is a resilient faith in uncertain times. Resilient faith in uncertain times. Now, this is a theme that we keep coming back to again and again, but this is really the foundation for the book of Daniel. Resilient faith in uncertain times. Now, according to uh, Andrew Zoli, uh, uh, resilience is this capacity to be able to uh, maintain core purpose and integrity when there's dramatic shifts and changes in the circumstances that are all around you. So maintaining a core purpose and integrity in shifting times. Now, one of the books that we've been looking at is this book, Faith for Exiles. It's been super helpful for me in understanding the the present times that we live in. And both David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock write this. They said, today, nearly two-thirds of all young adults who were once regular churchgoers have dropped out at one time or another, 64%. Our contention is that today's society is especially and insidiously faith-repellent. Certainly, God's people have weathered hostile seasons in the past. Church history reminds us that living faithfully has never been easy, but our research shows that resilient faith is tougher to grow today using the cultivation methods we relied on throughout the 20th century. This leads to our central claim in Faith for Exiles. Young non-Christians are avoiding Christianity And young Christians are abandoning church. church. However, by cultivating five practices, we can form and be formed into disciples of Jesus who thrive as exiles in digital Babylon. Now, like I said, the the season that we live in is very difficult. It's, It's very difficult to be a Christian, and you've probably felt that. How do they describe what this digital Babylon looks like? Well, they talk about digital Babylon being almost this like, accelerated, fast-moving, fast-paced society that's very complex, uh, where there's a lot of decisions and there's a lot of uncertainty that come with those decisions. Um, it's difficult to predict what's going on in our culture. And what happens is that the reaction for many is this low-level anxiety uh, that starts to take over and it starts to ratchet up to high levels of anxiety. And then anxiety becomes this benchmark of of really how we live our lives when it comes to how we relate to education, our careers, money, relationships. What happens is there's this apprehension that infiltrates everything when it comes to the choices within our modern life. And so if we were to think about the life that we live today today, What does it look like to have a resilient faith? Just as an overview of what they talk about the five practices being, the first one they talked about is having a resilient identity. I mean, what they say is being able to experience intimacy 
with Jesus, an intimate relationship with Jesus. Another practice is to develop the muscles of cultural discernment, kind of knowing what's going on around you and, and maybe how that relates to or is different to what we see in Scripture. Practice three is this, in, in a culture where there's much isolation and mistrust, where those are the norms, to forge meaningful intergenerational relationships. The next practice is to train for vocational discipleship. What that means is basically that your job is not just your job, but that God has given you gifts and abilities and, and sent you out to go use those gifts and abilities for his glory and for his kingdom. And so being able to have that idea of like, it's, it's, it's more than just a job to me. And we are going to see that in the book of Daniel. The last practice that they talk about is to curb entitlement and self-centered tendencies by engaging in countercultural mission. Countercultural mission. It's basically saying it's not just some people who are called to, to take on that great commission that Jesus gives at the end of Matthew 28, but he sent all disciples to take on that commission to go into all the world, teaching, telling what Jesus has done, teaching all that he's done and pointing people to Jesus. That's a commission, commission, right, for all of us. And so how does that work out in our lives? And so like I said, over the next couple of months, we'll be studying the book of Daniel and uh, we'll see that all throughout church history, this is the norm throughout church history, when there have been uncertain times, here's what the Christian church has done. They have looked to the books of Daniel and also the book of Revelation for encouragement. That has been the norm for the church, the rhythm of the church from the, from the start is they have looked to these books for help. Why? Because the book of Daniel pulls back the curtain and shows us that despite the uncertainty all around us, God is still in control, even in the worst of circumstances. That's what it does. It pulls back the curtain on what we're facing in our daily lives and showing that God is with us. Daniel 1, 1 through 2 says this, in the year, the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And I want you to think for a minute how traumatizing this would be for the people of God as they see this city besieged, taken over. But next, listen, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. In the uncertain circumstance, the book of Daniel pulls back the curtain and says, but God allowed it to happen. God allowed it to happen. What was Jehoiakim and what was he, what was he doing at that time? Well, he had, he had turned away from God. He had been living away from God and apart from God and, and pushed God out. And so God allowed this to happen in their lives. Why? So that he could draw them back to himself. See, if we have studied in Jeremiah and see today, yes, Daniel's country was overtaken. The culture that they were brought into was different. But God was still at work. God was still at work. And so when we get pulled into situations where we feel like, is God there? 
Could God be in the time and place that I'm living today? The answer is yes. It's yes. One commentator, Ian DeGid, said, the one who had sent them into exile had also promised to be with them there and ultimately to restore them from exile after a time of judgment. An implicit parallel is drawn between the sacred articles stolen from the temple and the people taken by Nebuchadnezzar. The young men are described as free from defect, a word more commonly used of sacrifices. Just as the Lord allowed Nebuchadnezzar to carry away the temple vessels, he also allowed him to carry off some of the best of his people. That parallel further implies that just as the temple vessels would inevitably, eventually make their way home, so too would his exiled people. God will not abandon what is his own. God will not abandon what is his own. And so in the midst of discouragement, we see that God took four, most likely teenagers, from their home country, brought them to a foreign land, and said, I'm with you. God did not abandon them. You see, it's through the gauntlet of exile that Daniel's faith in God doesn't shrink, it shines. Daniel had a resilient faith, not because of his certain circumstances, but in his certainty about God. He has a certainty about God. Tremper Longman says, believers can recognize that none of their troubles take God by surprise, and none will derail his purpose of making things right for those who faithfully love him. God has the power and the ability to make things right for his people. He doesn't abandon them in the midst of their trials. And so our text today is Daniel 1, 1 through 21. And just to give some background, it was written in the 6th century B.C. Um, Daniel was a young man of noble birth. And so Isaiah 39, verse 7, had actually prophesied that this would happen. You should go check it out. But in, in Isaiah 39, 7, it said that uh, some of the, the young nobles would be brought into the palace of uh, the the conquering nation and so they were captured by Nebuchadnezzar Um, and what happens is that Daniel lost his nobility and he's put into a, a training program here he lost his name and he loses the ability to ever have a family and yet he served in Babylon for 70 years he serves in Babylon for 70 years And so how do we see Daniel live out this resilient faith in uncertain times? Well, there are three phases that we find here in the story. And here's what they are. The first one is, number one, there's an outward integration. Number two, an internal resolve. And number three, a constant dependence. Outward integration, internal resolve, and a constant dependence. And so the first one is an outward integration. Look at verses three through seven. Then the king uh, commanded uh, Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish, a good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. 
and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called uh, Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Now, probably some of us have heard these names before, and, and we're going to look at some different passages that you, you know from the book of Daniel, um, but what did this outward integration look like practically uh, for these young men who were taken captive? Well, verse 3 talks about there was an isolation that happened. They were isolated, right? They were taken. Um, they, these were people who were taken from their home. Um, and, and brought into this program. They were indoctrinated into this new education system in verse four. Uh, they were immersed into the culture. Verse five, it talks about this. Um, of, and we're gonna talk, look at that. But uh, then there's this identity shift that happens. Identity shift that happens. Um, verses six and seven tell us about that. Now, there is something important when it comes to our identity and our name. Uh, many of us know this, uh, but when somebody knows your name, it's, it's a little piece of who you are that's important to that other person. And what happens here is a part of the integration program into Babylon and the assimilation process was that they would take their name and give them a new name to try and erase the past of who they are. I remember when I was a youth, uh, I was, was in this youth group and I remember one of the, the leaders um, introduced himself to me. And he told me that his name was Derek. Um, and so I got, became pretty good friends with Derek. He was my youth leader. And um, I started to hear people call him another name. Uh, they started to call him Noodle. And um, the thing was, as I started to learn more about Derek, was that... Um, he hated the nickname, Noodle, that people had given him. So he was tall and he was lanky, and people over the years had called him Noodle from the church, but it, it, there, it actually uh, had been lost for a little while, but then he saw somebody who knew him at church from grade school. And they, they saw him, and they were like, oh, that's Noodle. And so they started, everybody at the church started calling him this name. And so I committed myself, and I told him, I said, I, I said, why are you people calling you that? He told me the whole story. I said, I will never call you that nickname. I will never call you that. Because what that did is it stripped him of his identity. He told me his name is Derek. But people wanted to call him something else. You see, and when we talk about names and what those things mean, it's important. It's important. It's valuable. And so this identity shift happens in these young teenagers at the time. And so Daniel, do you know what his name means? It means God is my judge. And what that was doing was it was stripping that from him. Say, no, your name is Belteshazzar. Hananiah's name means the Lord is gracious. And it was stripped from him and said, no, your name is Shadrach. Mishael's name means who is what God is. 
No, you're Meshach. Azariah, the Lord is my help. No, your new name is Abednego. See, their new names called for the help of Babylonian gods, Marduk, Bel, and Nebo. Rather than what their original names were for the God of Israel. And the place that they had been taken was now starting to encroach upon them as saying, this will be your new identity. See, along with their names changing, they were instructed in Babylonian language, literature, diet. See, the goal was for them to be, uh, erase all memory of Israel and their God and to place within them a trust in Nebuchadnezzar for everything in life. And I want you to know that in many ways, this happens today in our culture. How does it happen? What's the first question you ask somebody? Well, what do you do? What do you do? Well, I'm a pastor or I'm an engineer or I'm, you know, a teacher or whatever it might be. What does our culture say? That your identity, your worth is in your work. Where'd you go to school? I went to UCSD. I went to USD. I went to San Diego State. Oh, so that's where you're. Do you realize that your identity gets stripped from you because you're told that your identity is in those things? See, it happens in our culture today as well. To be sure, um, this is a quote from Ian DeGitt again. To be sure, they did, not out, they did not outwardly resist the Babylonian system. They did not refuse to work for the Babylonians, perhaps because they recognized the hand of God in their situation. See, they understood the word that the Lord gave them uh, through Jeremiah, that those whom he sent to Babylon should labor there or the blessing of the people and for the blessing of the people which they found themselves. As far as possible, these young men sought to work within the system in which they had been placed, being good citizens of Babylon as well as of heaven. Right? This isn't to go up to people and say, well, that's, that's not my idea. You know, like, no, no, no. But for us, you, you live in a system. You live in a system. But how do you live as a citizen that lives in San Diego, right here, but also you are a citizen of heaven, right? You're much more than this. That's what the tension is that they lived in. The second one is this, internal resolve. Internal resolve. Okay, so look at verses 8 through 13. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So he's got a real potential threat to himself with Daniel's request. Then Daniel said to the steward of, of whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for sen- 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths 
who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Now, what's happening here? Well, there's three parts. Um, The first one is this, that it says Daniel resolved. Daniel resolved. Look at verse 8 there. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So Daniel resolved. There's something in him that he made a decision about. This word for resolved, it's two words in Hebrew, but basically it means to make up your mind. He made up his mind in the deepest parts of who he is. So this is something that he made a decision internally about. So it wasn't something he, he looked to other people to make that decision for him. But he said, I am going to make my own decision about this. I'm going to resolve to believe this. See, this is where his faith became personal for him. Like I said, there are, uh, there, the, these were youth that had been taken from uh, their homeland in Jerusalem to Babylon. But, and he had grown up in this culture where many had believed the same things that he believed. But at this point, now in his life, he's being brought out and he's having to make a decision within himself. Do I believe this? Do I believe this? See, for many of us that are in faith today, we know that it isn't our parents' decision or somebody else's decision to ultimately know if we really believe this or not. This has to be internally resolved within ourselves. And Daniel internally resolved to follow the God of Israel. He makes that decision. See, we know this through church history, that youth, in many ways, the power of God works through youth making decisions like this. Many throughout church history of the, youth, the movements of God happen because there are youth that start to resolve and make decisions like this. And so as a church family, like can we agree and can we reason and say like the, the next generation is really important to, for them to know and, and take hold of a faith of who the real God is. I'm not talking about embracing the dysfunctions of the church. I'm talking about embracing the God of Israel, the perfect Jesus who came, lived, died, was buried, raised from the dead on the third day, resurrected to life, Jesus. Can we resolve that that is important? Because we see that God is going to move through Daniel and the life of Daniel, but it started as a youth. It started as a youth. One commentator, Daniel Aiken, says, the immersion into the worldview of Babylon would, would not win his own heart or his mind. Babylon is where he would live, but Babylon would never be his home. Daniel and his friends were forced to be in Babylon, but they would not let Babylon get into them. They wouldn't let it get into them. Okay, so what happens is there's different values and idea, system, ideal, or idea systems and values that, that come out in their life. Second, we see that as Daniel resolved, he spoke. 
Look, it says, therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. What this takes is a courage and a boldness to, to ask, right, to speak up. He'd made a decision in his heart, but now this, this decision is starting to become more public and saying, hey, I'm going to ask you, can't I do this because of a response of what God has done in his heart? Right? Many times what happens is we, we resolve or we hear something from God, but we don't respond and do anything about it. What we see here is that Daniel resolves in his heart, but he asks a question to the chief of the eunuchs. Thirdly, what Daniel didn't know is that God was already at work. Verse 9, it says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. When we look at the word favor in the Old Testament, it's, it's the same word actually used for grace. The same word used for grace. And so God, through this person who's in power, the chief of the eunuchs, is, is showing Daniel grace and compassion and saying, I see you in the midst of what you're going through right now. He's trusting God, he's asking, and then God is providing as he trusts him. And so what happens is Daniel hears out what's going on with the chief of the eunuchs, and he says, okay, let me try and figure out a a win-win situation here. Let's work something out. And so he's like, okay, let's just test it. We'll we'll test it for 10 days. He says, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youth who who let the king's food be observed by earth. Be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Now, first, I just want to say this. This isn't a diet plan, all right? This isn't a diet plan to say, okay, like, let me make my life better. Like, no, 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 this is, that's not what this is about. The heart of what this is is an obedience to trust God and what God told him to do, okay? So we don't want to just take this and, all right, this is, No. <laughs> He's, he's showing that, that God is in charge. And this shows that Daniel believes that God can do much more than what the king could do for him. See, he's trusting, not, at the, not in the king's table and what the king could provide for him, but in trusting that, that God could provide for him something much better. And so he's kind of separating himself from that. This was uh, summarized by one pastor who talked about uh, this idea being, uh, you know, we live in a world that's, that's filled with people who uh, rebel and want to do their own thing against the divine God. But he says, at some point, it is inevitable that as Christians, we will face situations where there are convictions that we have that will challenge the systems around us. And all of us who are Christians need to be in tune with what God's doing and commit ourselves to living God's way regardless of whatever temptations are around us. See, what we see in the life of Daniel is that there's an internal resolve. Lastly, there's a constant reliance. A constant reliance. And so, as for these use, here's what it says. Um, so 
It's actually verses 17 through 21 we'll look at. So skip down to 17 through 21. Um, As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none has found None was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And so what's the emphasis of this section here? What is the emphasis? Is that as these four youths, and it makes very clear that they were youths, trusted God, that God gave them what was not in them. The ability that they had was far beyond what they had within themselves. It says that they were 10 times better You see, they couldn't see behind the curtain. We're reading the book of Daniel today. We can see behind the curtain. They could not see it as they were living it out. You know, that's such an important thing when we think about Scripture, is that they couldn't see what was happening, but we get to read it. It's the three words God gave them. (laughs) Learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, this isn't going to be up on the screen, but again, Tremper Longman says this. He says, God gave the four Judeans knowledge and understanding. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar and and those involved in their education would take the credit for their brilliance, but Daniel and the others would know to whom the credit was due. For now, however, the divine origin of Daniel's success is only understood in private by the four. And private by the four. Right? There are going to be seasons where you might not have the opportunity to share fully why or how you got to where you're at. But what we're going to see later in the book of Daniel is that Daniel does get that opportunity. He will have an opportunity to share. He will have an opportunity to point to the God of Israel. And there will be great impact that's going to happen through his life. But at this point, as a youth, He's learning, much like young David did out in the wilderness, of just small obedience, trusting God. And then when he gives him the opportunity and the platform, he says, here, go, speak about me. But there's a constant reliance that we see in the life of Daniel. We see it all through the book of Daniel here. See, what, what we see is... In chapter one, it gives us this broad overview. At the beginning, it tells us how Jerusalem was besieged, how uh, the youth were captured, how these four individuals in particular were taken in a little bit of their story along the way. But we see at the end here that it specifically calls them in verse 19, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, because they know that their life and everything about their life 
has everything to do with their identity in God. It was God who did it. But then next, what we see is this little sentence in verse 21 that kind of caps it, right? It it kind of bookends all of this because it tells us about Daniel here and specifically, it says, "Uh, Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Why is this important? Because what this is telling us is that, yes, they were besieged, but Daniel outlasts all of these kings. You know who he outlasts? Daniel outlasted four kings, King Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius I, and Cyrus II. Hold on. I thought it was uncertain times. No, it's not uncertain to God. It was uncertain to those that were in the middle of the story, but not to God. And it caps it at the end there to remind us that God is going to finish the story. He doesn't leave it unwritten, right? He puts the last period in there. See, it's, it's believed that it was Daniel's theology and the, the, the theology of, of uh, these believers, these young men, that eventually influenced those who would come after them. See, Daniel served in his position for 70 years. And you remember what the prophecy was, what God said when all those false prophets were saying, it's going to be two years. God said, nope, it's going to be 70 years. And what did God do? He sent Daniel. And Daniel was there faithfully for 70 years. Now, years later, wise men would come from the east And many believe it was Daniel's theology that impacted the Chaldeans' astrology. God would give him the influence within the culture that scholars believe later led to the decree of Cyrus to send the people back to their land during the time of Nehemiah and led to the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. And this influence that eventually led to wise men that would come and crown the king who was to be born in Bethlehem. Friends, do you see that there is a bigger story and it starts with the constant reliance that God is in the midst of it? It's all unfolding. But did these four youth know or understand that that was going to happen at the end? No. But what did God say before? In Jeremiah 29, I I know the plans I have for you. And what did the I I know plans have? It all unfolded to point not to all of these people along the way, but to Jesus Christ, the ultimate bookend, the ultimate story. See, friends, it's a constant reliance in God. And so just some takeaways very quickly. Number one, recognize God's hand. Recognize God's hand. Right, verse two, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. That is a terrible thing. But you think about it, it was the best thing that they didn't even realize was gonna happen because if Jerusalem, if if his own people weren't going to tell the nations about him and be faithful in that, you know what? God was gonna send them to the the nations whether they liked it or not. He was gonna do it. God's hand was gonna do it. It happens in the book of Acts too. There's this persecution that happens. There's a dispersion. The diaspora is what they call it in the the scriptures. There's a dispersion that happens. What happens? 
They all become missionaries to the ends of the earth. God's hand is at work in your life in ways you can't see right now. Do you believe that? Recognize God's hand. Second, remember God's ways. Remember this idea that it was just these, these youths that, that resolved in their heart, made up their minds in the deepest parts of who they were, that they were going to trust the Lord, that they were going to trust God. I, I, I love, the, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically John Wesley talked about how back in the day he said that all I need is just like a small group of people that believe the gospel. So I don't need crowds. I just need a small group of people that actually believe this. And we can, we, we can reach people if we've got that. We can truly show people what Christianity is really about and who Jesus really is. Do you believe that? Do you trust God's ways? Are you, are you seeking God's face? That's why we've been praying, right? God, you're the only one who can do this. Lord, I know I got a, a lot of ideas and the, the, the world is telling me all these things about what I should believe and what life should be, but I'm just gonna just dig in and, and just, Lord, what do you say? What do you say? And I'm going to resolve to believe those things, no matter what's going on around me. And what happens is this last one, reflect God's glory. See, what we learn is that through all the trials, Daniel never points to himself as the hero. That's why I love the book of Daniel. Like, you're going to see it. He's going to be put into some of the most prestigious, highest positions within all of the land. And he will not take credit for himself. He just won't. See, that, that shows us what the posture is of somebody who understands what God's glory is all about. He's not stealing God's glory. But he's handing it over to God and saying, it's, it's God's glory. It's all God. Like, God has done this in my life. Daniel never points to himself as the hero. See, and that's the meta narrative of the whole Bible. It's all wrapped up in God being the hero of the story. Just like we talked about in this book here. God is, is, is writing a story that's much bigger than what he could see. And what that builds is this resilient faith. See, what we're going to see, and Daniel himself would agree with this, that ultimately, Jesus is the better Daniel. Jesus is the better Daniel. See, who was it that was with him as he goes into exile? Who was it that, that later we see in the fiery furnace? Who is it that sat with him and protected him from the lion? See, Daniel was forced to give up his nobility. He had no choice. Jesus Christ laid down his nobility, the king of heaven. Daniel resolved to give up his food, 
But Jesus resolved to give up his life. Daniel was obedient and was blessed for it. He, he got grace for it. Jesus was obedient and was ultimately cursed for it, put on a tree, hung on the cross. See, Jesus was and is our sovereign God, and he died. Daniel stood before the king and was honored. Jesus stood before a king and was dishonored and was spat upon. It was laughed at and said, oh, you're the king of the Jews. See, Jesus was and is our sovereign God. He died. And Jesus raised from the dead three days later to show us that he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. See, in the midst of all of the uncertainty of the culture that Daniel was in, he didn't lose his identity and who God is because he placed his faith not in himself but in his God most high. And so my encouragement to us as a church family, yes, we live in uncertain times, but my encouragement is to be certain about the God that's with us in the midst of our uncertainty. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the gift it is to know you and to be loved by you. Lord, and I just pray that you give us a resolve within us that we see in the life of Daniel that we resolve to know you and love you no matter what happens. May our faith be built not on people, but on Christ, on God, on what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.